thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Good evening, good morning, good day, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And you can find us on social media. So we are The Wellness Women on Facebook and we are at The Wellness Women Official on Instagram. I am DrAndrea.xo on the gram and The Period Whisperer on Facebook. And you can find Ash at Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. Ladies, there's uh, for this episode today, we've kind of done this because we see this so, so commonly in so many women and it's so incredibly debilitating. So I want to tell you about a really classic case that I see quite often. Um, And this is, you know, a bit of a little bit of a patient presentation that I'm going to run through with you. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a case history. So bear with me and then we're going to kind of take you on a bit of a journey of what's happening for her. So um, typically I might see a woman who is in her mid-30s who's complaining of really severe hormonal headaches or migraines that will fluctuate throughout the month. They might start to kick off a day or two before ovulation And they're so debilitating that usually um, these women will have to stay in bed for a few days at a time, if not the entire week. They're usually drugged up to the eyeballs on so much medication just to try and help them to be functional. Um, And even that sometimes doesn't even scratch the sides of the headaches. The pain can be so bad that it makes them vomit. Uh, They can get numbness and tingling in their face. Uh, They can get, you know, vision changes and vertigo and all sorts of, you know, different debilitating symptoms with that as well. And then right before their period, often there's a huge influx of the pain again. 
usually it's so much worse around this time, which means that every time they're trying to plan activities or holidays or, you know, even just be sociable, they're trying to navigate, will I have a headache or a migraine? Does it fit in with my period or my cycle? And if so, there's no way that they're going to be able to even, you know, RSVPS or, or commit to something or want to go away or on holidays around that time because life is absolute hell when they're in that much pain and they literally cannot think or function. And as women, we know that there's, you know, plenty of types of pain that we can push through and there's lots of pain that we are, I guess, conditioned to be able to deal really well with. But when it comes to something that affects so much of your neurology, your ability to think and process and function, um, and also involves so many of your senses as well, so can make you feel so nauseous, can give you vomiting, and the vision changes too, which would even make driving impossible, that's not something that you can just tough it out. Um, it's not something you can just you know, push through. So ladies, if you do get cyclical headaches or migraines, if you are sufferers of those, this is an episode for you. This is, you know, really what we're going to dive into today to try and give you some answers around why that happens. It's amazing, isn't it, how common things can be so normalized, you know, the amount of women you talk to um, that are so accepting of it because that's what uh, is just so normal to them. Recently, you know, had a lovely patient come in and um, she was telling me that for as, you know, as long as she can remember, she's been taking daily aspirin, um, as recommended to help her with her migraines. And it was considered a prophylaxis, meaning that it was a preventative, um, approach to migraine reduction. And when you take a history, it's very clear that hers are cyclical hormonal headache patterns, um, or migraine patterns. Obviously, if it gets any more than the initial aura, she knows that she'll be out for the count for at least 24 to 40. 48 hours. So she's found that the aspirin's been effective for her, but the question still underlies the fact that, you know, she's not addressed the underlying hormonal issues because when we dive backwards, you know, as from 16 years onwards, you know, for the next 16 years, it's just been really interesting that it all comes down to so many signs of hormonal imbalance, you know, really um, important menstrual dysregulation that's been covered up by use of the OCP, um, the contraceptive pill. And then, of course, when off the pill in order to conceive, um, you know, with the intention, the ambition of conceiving in the next 12 months, um, you know, obviously headache, migraine problems starting to show up again and the continuation of the use of aspirin at a higher dose. And it's just like, oh my goodness, has anyone asked the question of, you know, where this is coming from? Um, even though, you know, some of the research never suggests that it can be quite uh, beneficial to use aspirin in that way, it doesn't necessarily mean that is, you know, the reason for her migraines. It's not a lack of aspirin in her system, which is causing those migraines. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that just kind of rings some alarm bells for me as well, just because of the risks and the side effects that are associated with that too. So obviously there's an increased risk of bleeding. Um, So if this is a menstruating woman, like what is her period and her menstrual bleed like now? Like is she, you know, at risk of um, anemia and everything else because surely that daily aspirin would be increasing her blood loss? Um, Surely. (laughs) Yeah, not to mention how many people look at her twice because she's bruised all over. (laughs) 
<laughs> from sport oh, and geez. it looks like you know with her partner it's like hmm she hasn't had the police called you know <laughs> for her domestic issues um but you know and I was just like isn't that interesting that you know we'll accept that external um evidence of bleeding like all that bruising as a consequence of mm. taking the aspirin but not asking the question of how that may be affecting other areas of the body you know um, in particular, obviously related to that cycle. So, yeah, ladies, I mean, this is a big, big thing because it is something that is so debilitating for those women that are experiencing this. Um, and I think that for a lot of cases, you know, women really do feel like they've tried everything and they often end up in the in the medical office um, with only a couple of options. You know, what do you tend to find, Andrea, is the most common options women are given in this situation? <laughs> When they have cyclical headaches and migraines, um, it, depending on what their presentation is, might depend on what sort of um, kind of uh, intervention that they're given. But it's usually just a combination of like a chemical cocktail. So it's usually really strong pharmaceuticals, usually some sort of ibuprofen and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories um, is usually the go-to. But for a lot of women that honestly doesn't even scratch the sides for them. Um, then it's usually like a cascade to um, things like uh, NDEP and gabapentins and things that change the actual neurology of the brain and kind of work on that sort of level. Um, and, you know, it, yes, it may work. Yes, some women might find this really effective, but it sort of speaks to the fact that even though it might be helping the pain, if it is effective at all, what is the underlying reason why it's happening in the first place? Like so we need to take a few wives. steps back. <laughs> yeah, completely. Yeah, right. so yeah, exactly. We need to take some steps back and go, okay, what the hell is going on with this person's body? Because this is not normal. Irrespective of whether or not there's a family history of all sorts of certain things like headaches and migraines, this is not normal. This is not the way your body is designed to function. Um, and certainly like headaches and migraines are like super debilitating. They're the third leading cause of life lost to a disability. And we wouldn't really think that normally if you're not a headache sufferer, surely you're thinking, oh, it can't be that bad. But, you know, the statistics are right there. Um, now, women with cyclical or hormonal headaches or migraines, um, these usually are those painful issues, but a bit they're a bit different. Um, usually there's this like peak a few days before menstruation um, or within a few days of having a period in the first place. Um, and usually they're different because one, they last longer. They're usually much more severe as well. And they're usually much more resistant to treatment, uh, which, you know, also again, women during the short straw, <laughs> it's that, that curse of our whole hormonal function that this is why they're more difficult. They're um, much more painful. And, I couldn't figure out how, like, what is the mechanism as to why this is happening in the first place? I just started seeing so many patients coming in with these cyclical migraines and headaches. There was such a strong correlation we know with oral contraceptives and HRT, so hormone replacement therapy, um, and I had to figure out why that was the case. So um, after, you know, of course, what we do when we have a patient who comes in um, or a whole host of them with all sorts of things going on, then we've got to understand what that pathophysiology is that's causing this in the first place um, and for women with cyclical headaches and migraines it all comes back to estrogen metabolism 
and estrogen fluctuations throughout the cycle. Um, so migraines, when they're cyclical in nature, are related to high estrogen as well as like any kind of hormonal manipulations. So for example, like I said, if you're on hormone replacement therapy, um, there, that's obviously very different to what our own body is producing. For example, the, the estrogen that's in hormone replacement therapy is made from the urine of pregnant mares. It's usually a, a very different formulation and much stronger than what our own body makes, um, as is the progesterone. Um, whereas, you know, the same thing is true for the oral contraceptive pill as well. And usually the hormones in that are different to what our own body makes again and usually like sometimes up to 10 times stronger than what our body does so there's you know these hormonal manipulations usually really exacerbate these symptoms and then it's the withdrawal of those hormones so any fluctuations then in them will induce usually a really big headache or a migraine um, and then that also then goes to there's this big cascade effect where it actually also affects the neurotransmitters as well. So not only does it give us severe pain, it's super debilitating, but then it affects like, you know, serotonergic tone, which triggers more pain, um, which makes us feel like crap because serotonin is our feel good, happy neurotransmitter. And then life sucks <laughs> in a nutshell. Um, so, you know, I think um, hopefully that gives you a bit of an understanding of you know, why some of these trigger in the first place. And we can go into a little bit more detail about that. Um, but Ash, do you see these patients all the time as well? Like they're just, they have this really long history. Nothing's ever touched the sides of it. The normal things that we would do in terms of, um, you know, physical work on their system doesn't tend to change it. So then we have to go to a deeper level. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's interesting too, because, you know, often it's described as um, hereditary in the sense that, you know, mother or grandmother has it. And then um, I just find it interesting and you might get like, you know, a family of girls and you'll say one has it and the other two sisters don't. And you're kind of like, hmm, that's interesting. Um, you know, why, why the gene coding? Why does that one daughter get, um, this particular, you know, what is considered a hereditary, um, migraine issue and the others don't. So, um, obviously there's a lot of factors at play there, but I think, you know, we're always interested in the generational, effects as well of things like excessive estrogens mm. you know excessive hormonal uh, imbalances that are passed on genetically through that epigenetic expression and we know that it comes often through the grandmother so um it's yeah i just mm. find it interesting because you know you do have to manipulate the lifestyle and the environment um to have any chance of affecting this and i find it's quite frustrating to hear the stories or, you know, hear the journey. And it's usually, you know, lots of testing, pharmacological, you know, changes, try this, try this, try this, found something that's tolerable. So it's never really, you know, perfect. It's just more like it's better than it was, so therefore it's better. Um, mm. And often just not addressing some of those you know, key things, you know, you'll ask a question, oh, so have you ever done any, you know, dietary changes or eliminations? Have you ever, you know, gone through any programs involving, you know, let's just say um, liver or kidney, you know, detoxification protocols or anything like that? And it's very common that the answer is no, almost as if like, well, why would that be important? But as, you know, you've just described very clearly there, um, the connection to sex hormones how we um, metabolize them, how we regulate them, how we recycle them is critical to understanding why someone might have imbalances in um, the ratio, which can obviously be the big thing here, that drop in estrogen, um, or just imbalances mm. in actual, you know, like sheer amount, you know, having excessive estrogen is going to cause 
not just increased risks of migraines, but also, you know, as we know, all other reproductive sex hormone um, related conditions. So I think it's yeah. it's something that I wish I heard more often that people have tried a lot of the other things. Then I'd be like a little bit more satisfied that we don't know everything about this and therefore this may be the best path at this time until we understand more. Um, but I often find that, yeah, because I mean, the reality is the research is not conclusive. You know, they don't know down to a pinpoint why and what is exactly going on, which is why it's very trial based on how the treatment is performed, you know, at that pharmacological level. So, um, I would love to see more evidence or, more examples because I, you know, I did search it um, to see if there was any evidence of research that was specifically targeting, you know, um, cyclical migraines or migraine with aura or things like that involving lifestyle and dietary change. Um, and there just yes. really wasn't anything showing yeah. up. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why they haven't studied this just yet. Or, you know, where are the papers to show that they've made a targeted approach here, targeting um, the rebalance of hormones in order to try and diminish these life affecting symptoms. Um, but you know, yeah. <laughs> it's not there at the moment. Yeah. Maybe, maybe our program, maybe our 28 day hormone reset results should be starting to build some case studies that they can uh, do some research on. <laughs> I know. Right. And I can totally like, uh, talk the crap out of like anecdotal research and mm. uh, particular like individual patient case studies that have responded really beautifully to this. And I think part of the reason why that is, is because um, not many, even practitioners, understand the relationship between estrogen, um, like blood vessels, um, pain, and, you know, the headaches and those sorts of things. But we also know on the flip side of this, we also know, or we should know, that oral contraceptive use and hormonal therapy in migraine sufferers is an absolute contraindication which means that if you have migraines and you're put on the oral contraceptive pill, that is absolutely, I was going to say negligent. Um, it's an absolute no-go zone. It increases your risk of more severe uh, migraines, but it also increases your risk of things like stroke as well because of the interplay of, um, you know, obviously the vasculature and everything else. So, ladies, if you are if you are on oral contraceptives or hormone replacement and you do suffer from migraines, you need to be speaking to your like primary care practitioners pretty quickly about that because um, in every textbook and everything else, it will absolutely tell you that it's an absolute contraindication um, and that's really important to understand. So there's a couple of other mechanisms as to why that actually happens. Um, and another thing is that uh, so estrogen increases essentially like in, in the brain at certain times, like with an influx of estrogen, it increases COX-1 um, levels particularly in the cerebral blood vessels. Um, so obviously blood vessels of the brain and COX-1 um, stuff increases prostaglandins, which is our pain chemicals, which promotes inflammation and also promotes pain. Now we normally have other factors to um, kind of buffer that or modulate that, but when there's a sudden change in it, like what happens right before we get our period. So right before the period is due, we get this decrease of estrogen and progesterone that goes below a threshold that then allows for essentially a shedding of the endometrium. That's what is the initiation of that blood flow in the first place is that withdrawal or decrease of estrogen and progesterone. Now, if you've got very, very high levels of estrogen and then you have a sudden drop, then that big change is absolutely going to give you almost like a relative hormone withdrawal. 
similar to if you were taking combined oral contraceptives and you were having 21 days of hormonal pills and then seven days of placebo pills. Does that sort of make sense? Mm. Um, so it's this sudden change um, and, and that manipulation of those kind of hormonal fluctuations that really like brings on the onset of these pain and awful symptoms. Um, and, you know, obviously the menstrual cycle is so beautifully and carefully orchestrated and it's this like interrelationship between our brain chemicals, our hypothalamus function, signaling down to our pituitary glands that then goes and talks to our ovaries and vice versa, plus all of the circulating estrogens and everything else in our system. So all of that has to work together in that beautiful symphony orchestra to essentially give us like the amazing feminizing qualities that it does. But sudden changes in that has a big impact on our system too. Um, so... Ladies, big changes in estrogen is going to give you or contribute to these symptoms. So what do we do about it? Um, I think that that is the big question. This is where we come into our dietary and lifestyle medicine and everything else that we're always harping on about. But there are very specific things that you can do that will certainly help um, to promote good balance here. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no, I just think it's really interesting. She's just was... agreeing with me. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, just totally like I'm just nodding away. Yes, like absolutely. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that it's it can seem so um, hard to make those changes, particularly when, you know, often people feel like they've tried a lot of things, um, <laughs> you know, or they've spent a lot of money and time doing a lot of different processes. But, you know, maybe – now that you might have some feeling for understanding as to really what those, you know, underlying mechanisms are as far as they're known right now, because obviously this is still evolving in terms of the complete understanding of how those estrogen um, receptors really work, you know, in the brain that facilitate this migraine um, and particularly migraine with aura seems to be the most common kind of uh, occurrence there. But it's fascinating to see that, um, you know, targeted lifestyle medicine really can have a big place in this like it does with a lot of different, mm -hmm. you know, hormonal uh, concerns. So I've always encouraged women, like, I'm like, I get it. I understand you've got your migraines to a place of manageability. And I find that the biggest thing that is um, the biggest resistance they have is like, I can function like this. I really don't want them to get worse. And so they're kind of too scared yeah. or unwilling to make changes to actually, you know, try these things just in case, they got worse because at the moment they can take a few extra pills on a bad day and still get to work, um, you know, and they're worried that, you know, in the past they've had two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine you know, days off in a row because of it. So I guess that's probably one of the big steps that I have to, you know, help someone um, overcome is to just have that encouragement to say, you know, I understand, but can you also live the rest of your life? on these medications, what happens if you want to conceive, you know, to get pregnant, can you stay on these medications? Is it safe for pregnancy? Like there's a lot of questions yeah. to ask there. Is it, you know, more beneficial right now to just trial it in the period when you can actually control the timeline? So maybe this month is not the right month, but maybe next month, you know, workload backs off a bit, you've got a little bit more space. Maybe you can try some of these things and just see how you go with some of these targeted changes. Um, because I definitely know that ladies, if, if you're scared of changing something like we get it, <laughs> you know, we get it because it's just so debilitating. Um, you know, unfortunately both Andrew and I cannot 
um, truly say we've ever experienced it. You know, I think both of us had a bad headache here and there, but nothing compared to what I have heard people describe, you know, as their experiences. And therefore, whilst it's easy for us to say, just do this and just do that, um, at the end of the day, it is, you know, your choice, but just realize that there's a lot of angles to this that sometimes are not explored in a conventional sense. So, um, maybe just try and be willing and open to some of the suggestions we're about to, to pitch at you um, without that sense of dismissal straight away. Cause I know that's kind of one of the things that I got from a lady uh, a couple of weeks ago and she's just like, yeah, but you wouldn't understand. So I'm just not going to bother. I'm like, oh, okay, where do I go from I here? <laughs> I know that's so sad, isn't it? And I think just once we have, um, you know, real, that really good anecdotal evidence that some of these changes actually really do work. I think that that kind of gives, um, I guess, uh, a bit of assurance to patients that, it, you know, it is worth um, sticking it out and seeing and, and just watching. And, you know, even if it changes nothing, you're only going to be healthier because of it. Um, because some of these things that we need to do, like improving your estrogen detoxification and metabolism by doing things like increasing cruciferous vegetables, making sure you're really ramping up your fiber. So, you know, aiming for two cups of veggies per meal, all of those sorts of things helps to improve estrogen metabolism, helps to improve your sex hormone binding globulin function, which makes sure that your body's using those hormones appropriately and putting them where they're supposed to be. Um, and also that's going to help to you know, increasing that fiber. Um, fiber is, you know, essentially a precursor to your short-chain fatty acids, which then goes on to, uh, I'm not going to go into the complex biochemistry, but, but essentially this is one of the building blocks for our hormones. Okay, so think of it that way. Um, I also really love to help to try and improve the ratios between estrogen and progesterone. Um, so, you know, there's a whole bunch of different, like really lovely herbs that we can use to do that. But a really basic one is just vitamin C as well. So that's been clinically shown to be very effective to improve for improving um, progesterone production. And it's also just, you know, really good for collagen repair and everything else. So that is just simple, plain old vitamin C, which is amazing. It is. Andrea, which vitamin C specifically do you recommend? Because I know I've had some chats lately, lipospheric C and all these sorts of, you know, like combinations. I'm like, is it just plain old simple ascorbic acid or are we talking about, um, you know, any combinations, you know, vitamin C and zinc? Is there anything that, you know, you find is more effective? Um, uh, look, I think that there's actually a little bit of controversy around vitamin C, would you believe? Um, because some ascorbic acid is made from genetically modified corn. Mm. Um, so, you know, just kind of going down and just trying to figure out, you know, where your vitamin C is actually coming from, making sure you're using a reputable brand, um, or food-based sources as well is like, you know, a really great option. Um, your ascorbic acid is fine if it's bound with your bioflavonoids. Uh, so just making sure you're getting something like that. Um, some of the ones that we use has also got hesperidin in it as well. So um, that would be my suggestion, definitely. And it just has the added bonus of being, you know, immune protective too. Um, they they seem to think that the vitamin C impact on progesterone production is because it has a bit of a calming effect on and supportive effect on the adrenal glands. So we've got less progesterone being converted into cortisol through that pregnenolone steel and allowing more available progesterone, which is improving those estrogen and progesterone ratios. Um, whew, that was a very long sentence. I've got to take a breath there. Um, <laughs> 
it. <laughs> yeah, so so that that's a great one. Um, any of your really good estrogen metabolizers, things like broccoli sprout extract, um, your sulforaphane, uh, rosemary, even just you know adding lots of rosemary to your food, all of those sorts of things are just excellent for improving estrogen metabolism. Um, and then that means if we don't have you know all of this relative estrogen excess relative to again lower progesterone then the change of those hormones throughout the cycle is going to be much less dramatic it means we've got much gentler kind of ebb and flow throughout the cycle Mm. Mm. and i find it's uh, symptomatically often uh complex b like b complex vitamins so you know deficiencies in b's can obviously exacerbate headaches or, or migraines and um sometimes i just find like you know just a good b complex is somehow just picked up any missing links in those nutrients and uh, has or you know within a month already started to reduce you know severity which is pretty cool um so you know if in doubt i generally go with the b b complex as well just to make sure that's covered and i tend to find as well that um yeah love it. look for look there's anecdotal evidence i've seen there's some research too i'm, like, I'm a bit you know sometimes i, th- I think it's hard to know exactly because some people say oh it really worked a lot of people like i took it and did nothing but i found ginger has been quite effective as well um mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah. fresh raw added into foods um on a regular daily basis but also supplementation um the recommendation that i read was a thousand milligrams a day uh so sorry a thousand milligrams two times a day so two thousand milligrams per day um and that the study indicated that it could be as effective as non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, which are often prescribed for migraines. So, you know, that was pretty so pretty good. interesting reading. Yeah. Going, okay, uh, it was only a small study, um, but still promising information. If you know the contrast is that you could take ginger um, extract uh, supplementation as opposed to a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, and which we know has you know massive side effects and great increased risk of gut damage. Then I think you know I'd definitely prefer to someone to be taking that ginger extract. So, you know, that's another thing to look into just to see if it's a possibility that it makes an effect for you. I mean, what's the worst could happen? You try yeah, it for, you know, good. four to six weeks. Wow, it's more effective. Cool. You might find a new solution um, that's non-pharmacological, which would be ideal. I think, you know, if we're looking for long-term health, we want to keep our bodies as well as we can, um, steering away from anything that has the possibility of knock-on effect, you know, as soon as we take non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or, um paracetamol or anything like that then there's always going to be side effects and we may not see them in the immediate you know period of time but there's certainly risks of long-term you know harm to the body so i'm kind Mm. of like all about the if you took that for a period of time would there be a long-term impact and you know at this stage there's no evidence to suggest long-term use of ginger is harmful so that's yeah another possibility Oh, definitely. That's one of my favorites. That's so good. Um, Now, this one is a little bit confusing because it's almost paradoxical for what we're saying. And that is, I always get patients to increase their nitric oxide rich foods. Um, And so these are things like beetroot, pomegranate, um, uh, like cacao what else what else ash i can't think of them off the top of my head um we'll post a list online anyway now this kind of flies in the face of research but anecdotally it absolutely works um i've seen time and time again patients who are like just having plenty of foods that are rich in this whether it's not big whether it's because they're rich in nitric oxide or whether it's just because you know maybe these are also too coincidentally um most of these foods are very high in vitamin c as well maybe that's you know part of the the process that helps to just 
regulate some of those hormonal fluctuations helps to give really good um you know blood flow and blood vessels and everything else and um decreases that systemic inflammation too uh, but increasing the nitric oxide rich foods t- uh, tends to have really good symptomatic relief as well and quite quickly um, so if there's an onset of a migraine eating a whole bunch of beetroot is not necessarily going to stop it but these changes over time definitely helps to regulate the system and decrease the incidence of these ongoing which is amazing i have lots and lots of patients now who have been migraine free for you know like months if not years um when they've suffered them their entire life so that is pretty great right because imagine how much of their life they were losing to such a debilitating symptom i think that's pretty cool now i want to make a little point there because you know you said these are my patients for years now another big key link that i believe is you know often underutilized and downplayed is actually the impact of chiropractic adjustments you know that oh yeah totally (laughs) like right so you know we're we're talking about supplementation and all these things but the reality is we're both chiropractors we work in this clinical space where we assess the spine and nervous system for anything that could be caught excuse me, causing like a misfiring of that um, that pain response. And um, the reality is, you know, there's good evidence to suggest chiropractic adjustments can help to reduce the severity, frequency and intensity of migraine headaches. So um, if, that, if you've never yeah. tried, you know, if you've never at, been. At like absolute bare minimum, it's like that's. <laughs> just such a no-brainer isn't it and i can't believe this isn't like you know one of the first things we talk about but um that is literally like the bare minimum of what we do which i, I think, think it's is because we feel like we're talking to our patients you know we, we record this for our, our yeah. clients most of the time so we're like we're already the assumption is you're already under chiropractic care so on top of that can you please try this this and this so um i think that's probably why we sometimes just you know forget to to really make a point of it but um we don't do that intentionally we just do it on the assumption that hey doesn't everyone get checked <laughs> I know. And it's funny because that was the original intention for the podcast in the first place, wasn't it? It was just to have like a bit of a resource or filing system for our patients. So instead of saying yeah. the same things over and over, we'd be like, okay, go to go to episode three, listen to what we said about coffee and blah, 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 and then come back and we'll have that conversation. And then we've just been so fortunate to have this medium that we reach, you know, like every corner of the globe. And um, we've got like a pretty incredible fan base. We love you guys. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that Doing that, getting checked is just one of the most, like, you know, obviously by very biasly, I'm, I'm thinking this, but, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just as much a mainstay of our health as is brushing our teeth for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And look, ladies, I think the other big player in all of this, and um, something that we come back to time and time again, and you will see it in every research paper and you'll see it in every study and, you know, the associations are so clear, strong and vivid that stress is such a major player mm-hmm in any dysfunction in this, you know, in this realm, any headache, migraine, jaw tension, pain patterns, you know, you've got to address stress as a, a physiological response, you know, from maybe mental, emotional um, responses. So this is where anything that helps you to alleviate stress is something that we encourage. Um, we, if we were to ask you on a score of, you know, one to 10, how stressed are you right now? Um, if there's anything over five, then that's, you know, potentially contributing to your migraine experiences. So you really need to have that stress score, you know, as low as possible. And of course, we're designed for, you know, mm. short, short bouts of acute stress. 
guess. You know, we're designed to go up to a nine out of 10 today. And by tomorrow though, we need to bring that down to a two again. So, um, anyone who's sitting on that spectrum of seven, eight, nine, 10 on a chronic, you know, long-term basis, then unfortunately that could be a major trigger for why you're experiencing, um, you know, not only cyclically imbalances because we know stress is a major factor on terms of our hormonal balance, but then that, that knock on effect of migraine. So I, you know, this is where I said, if people mm-hmm. use your essential oils, go and get some peppermint oil and lavender oil and a few drops in the bath and put it in your vaporizer and, you know, maybe uh, make a little rollerball and roll it on your palms and your temples and massage it in. Like just, you know, there's some things that have been shown to alleviate headaches. Um, there are two of them, just peppermint and lavender keep showing up again and again as they ever do. Mm-hmm. People find that it's very effective in um, headache, migraine relief. But anything else it takes, you know, stay well hydrated, you know, reduce your stress. Like I'm, <laughs> it's kind of back to our foundational principles. So I know that all ladies listening to this uh, on our reset program uh, through the month of February are going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, onto this because this is something we go on again and again about. It's just um, reiterating the foundations of what it takes to be really, you know, well balanced in that hormonal space, um, which has a knock on effect of just having a, a much greater life experience. So, um, yes, yeah, ladies, awesome. I think that if you're not on our program, you should be. <laughs> I know. I love that. That's just, you know, a nice little gentle plug for our 28-day hormone reset. When um, So, Ash, should we try and release, maybe if we release this episode tomorrow, um, then that'll be out before the reset starts. Do you think that's a good idea? I think that's probably I think a good idea. Is. And then if, if that is the case, let's definitely give them the promo code, I think, as well. Yes. Um, All right. So based think, on based on our yeah. past experiences, I think that if you're listening to this and you are wanting to join up, if it's any time before the sixth of February, then I would say you can still jump on board. Okay. You can sort of mm. into the first week. You wouldn't be if you're missing a few days into the first week, you'd still be able to get the maximum benefit of the program. We'll let you roll over on the other side of it. Like there's no big thing. But once we jump into week two, it kind of gets a bit hard to catch up. So ladies, if you're listening and you want to jump in on the program, yeah. it's before the sixth of February, you just need to go onto the website, go to the checkout um, and use the code RESET28, just like it sounds, R-E-S-E-T-28, so RESET28, and that will get $28 off the program, which is normally $125, but that will bring it down to $97 for you. So don't stress if you feel like you've missed the the February 1st cutoff. I think you could probably go up to about the February 6th and still, you know, have a really amazing program. And ladies, don't forget that that gives you full access to us to help to solve all of your hormonal problems for an entire month. Um, Obviously, you know, this is an online program where you'll be working um, with our incredible group and forum on there, which is fully guided by us the whole way. Um, So, you know, really what you're getting is pretty bloody cheap. So (laughs) if you want to jump on board, then, you know, feel free to do so. Um, But ladies, in summary, if you do suffer from cyclical or hormonal headaches or migraines, remember that estrogen fluctuations and those big changes or hormone withdrawals is the key to the onset and severity of your symptomatology. So let's get on top of that. So I want you to be having a really good look at your life. So where are you increasing your own endogenous production of estrogens that shouldn't be there? Are your detoxification pathways working really, really well? Can we get balance between those estrogen and progesterone ratios? Do you have exogenous um, versions? So like, you know, outside versions of the estrogen affecting your system as well from, you know, endocrine disrupting chemicals, plastics, um, you know, all of those sorts of nasty things that we've gone over um, a million times. Bless you, Ash. (laughs) Um, You know, do you need to have a look at your alcohol consumption, which is, you know, increasing your toxic levels of estrogen and those sorts of things? 
So ladies, I want you to be doing a little self-check there to see if you've got all those boxes ticked. And if so, and you still need help, then please feel free to reach out to us as well. And uh, I think go back and listen to some of the things that we talked about as your little go-tos because that would definitely, definitely help. And bless you again. All right. Um, Ash, is there anything else you want to add there? No, perfect. Ladies, you got this. I think, you know, take on board any of the information that works for you. As always, this advice is general and not meant to be taken as, you know, medical advice. If you've got any concerns, any, you know, questions before implementing any of our recommendations, please speak to your primary healthcare professional because um, we're here to support you. But obviously what we say is not gospel. You know, it's up to you to make a decision as to what's right for your health. So thank you so much for joining us for another week on Wellness and Radio. Awesome. So we are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. Ladies, until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.